Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Jason Espy. I'm an elder here. Uh, God is good, is he not? He is amazing. He is wonderful. Amen. And uh, we're going to be uh, continuing to worship him and to continue to bow our hearts to the ruler of the world, the ruler of creation. You know, we, we forget that every single day is actually a miracle. Today is a miracle because Jesus actually sustains life by his power. So this is supernatural every single day that we, what we do. It's not just by natural processes. It's because Jesus says that we are here. That's why we're here. And so we're here to worship the Lord. We're here to serve him. And we're going to be reading the Sermon on the Mount today. Uh, so go ahead and grab your Bibles or your phones. Uh, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to be doing something a little different. You know, most of the time we, we take about 12 verses or so and uh, look at that. We're going to look at three chapters today. Um, and the reason is because uh, that's, that's what I feel like the Lord told me to do. Like, let's, let's look at the whole thing. I know this might be unconventional, um, but we're going to read the whole thing in its entirety. And uh, I've, I've been delving into uh, Jesus' sermon uh, for about two months or so, and I've probably read it about 15, 20 times, and I feel like I'm just scratching the surface. Uh, Leonard Ravenhill says that this is the greatest sermon that has ever been preached by the greatest man that has ever lived. And uh, J.C. Ryle, he has a great quote. He says, Every word of the Lord Jesus ought to be most precious to professing Christians. It is the voice of the chief shepherd. It is the charge of the great elder and the head of the church. It is the master speaking. It is the word of him who spoke as never man spoke and by whom we shall all be judged at the last day. So what we're about to read is the greatest sermon that has ever been preached. By Jesus, by the master, the chief shepherd, the creator of all things, the ruler of hearts. Let's do well. Let's pay attention uh, to what to what he says here. Before we do that, I want to give the groundwork. I want to give the context. Uh, I'm going to quickly go through uh, chapters one through four. OK, Matthew starts off. This is how he starts off his gospel. This is the book of the generation, as it says in the KJV, of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So what Matthew is doing right there is he's connecting Jesus to the kingship of Israel. David was promised by God that one from his line would always sit on his throne and rule forever. He's also connecting Jesus to Abraham. Not only is he an Israelite, he is uh, reminding us that Abraham, the father of our faith, was given a promise. You will have a son. And he believed God in his old age. And like, like that, Jesus has been promised from the father at the very beginning of, of the book in Genesis. The entire book in Genesis. In Genesis 3.15, right after Adam and Eve uh, were deceived by Satan and fell, God steps in. And he curses, he gives a curse to the snake. And in that curse, he says that he will put enmity between 
the, uh, the, woman in, the woman's seed and the seed of the snake. And he gives this promise. And he says, there's one coming that will crush your head talking to the serpent. He says he will crush your head. There's one coming and you will, crush, and you will strike his heel. So Jesus is that crushing one that is coming. Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan. And he crushed his head at the, at the cross. Matthew goes on in chapter 1 to show the lineage of Jesus. And I think this is beautiful because it roots Jesus as a historical person. Jesus is not mythological, as some atheists say. He's not mythological. When you read mythology, it doesn't read anything like the Gospels. Here is a list of 14 generations or more um, talking of real people like you and me. Jesus had grandparents. He had parents. He's a real man. I think that is wonderful. Then Matthew will go on to show the supernatural elements of Jesus' birth and the real problems it caused Mary and Joseph. Through the activity of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of angels, Jesus is conceived, birthed, and protected in his formative years. Jesus, as described by the angel, is Emmanuel, God with us. That's awesome. Jesus descended. He stepped down from his throne uh, to come get in the muck and mire with you and me. And then he also, the angel says that he came to save his people from his sin, from their sins. In chapter 2, Matthew then records the worship of the Gentile wise men who traveled from the east. They have the revelation uh, that, that the star that they're following, they have the revelation. This is the arrival of the king of the Jews. So even from the Gentiles, those who don't know Jesus, I mean, th- those who don't know God through, through, uh, through Israel, um, they have the revelation, the king of the Jews, something special has come into the world. Okay, this causes problem with Herod. He's the king over Judea, uh, where Jesus was born. Herod is not going to share his throne. So he is an incredibly wicked and cruel king. He has every male child that is two years and under slaughtered. This is incredibly sad, incredibly cruel and wicked. Then Matthew records in chapter 3 the ministry of John the baptizer. This is Jesus' cousin in the natural. But in the spirit, he is the forerunner prophesied by Isaiah at least 700 years before. This is the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. And what was his message? Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. John created such an uproar that the scripture says in verse 5 of chapter 3 that all of Jerusalem and Judea were going out to him. At the end of chapter 3, Jesus comes on the scene. And it's time for Jesus to begin his public ministry. John baptizes him. And at this crucial moment in history, the voice of God thunders from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And John hears it. And the Holy Spirit comes down upon Jesus in the form of a dove. Here's a very clear picture of the triunity of God. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the same scene. Then the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the desert. In another gospel account, it says that he drives, the Holy Spirit drives Jesus into the desert. For why? Because there's a showdown that has to happen. There's a battle that has to happen between the devil and Jesus. Where every other man failed, every other human being failed in giving in to, to Satan and in temptation, Jesus succeeds. He didn't give in. He's our hero. Matthew then communicates to us that Jesus begins his public ministry. 
And watch Jesus' opening line. He picks up right where his cousin leaves off. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. The kingdom of heaven has come down to earth. It's, it's, it's here. Jesus then calls his first disciples, Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They're fishermen. Nothing special. They're normal people like you and me. They're made up of the same stuff as, as we are. And Jesus calls them, follow me. My friend, have you heard the voice of Jesus calling to you, follow me? Have you? Because he will call you. He calls every single person. Jesus said, if, if he be lifted up, then he will draw all men to himself. In Titus 2, it says that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. It's not just for the special, it's for you. It's for you. Jesus came for you. You know, the word of God is living and active, as it says in Hebrews. It's sharper than than a a two-edged sword. It divides between spirit and soul. You know, we don't just read the scriptures. The scriptures read us. And God is more interested. He is so interested, not in just what we do. He is interested in bringing truth to the innermost parts, as it says uh, in the Psalms. David says that in his famous Psalm in Psalm 51, when he's repenting for his sin, he says that God delights to bring truth to the innermost parts. Guys, this is what we're made for. We're created to commune with God in our innermost being. Do you know that? Do you know that? Do you have a relationship with a God, with God that, that you can say, I know God and He knows me in here. You're made for that. And I want to tell you, the way is wide open. This is what Jesus came to bring. He came to bring salvation to proud people. You know, it's only the humble that can enter the kingdom of God. And that's the, that's the opening of the, of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The proud can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's only those who will humble themselves. It actually says in, uh, in either James or Peter, he says um, that, that God is actually the opponent of the proud. God doesn't want to be your opponent. He wants you to humble yourself. You know, so my aim, I'm going to tell you my aim up front. I'm not going to be shy about it. My aim is to make you hunger and thirst for God by reading the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon in the world, the greatest sermon that has ever been preached. I want you to be cut to your heart today by the words of Jesus. Have you come in here just to check off your spiritual box? Hey, I went to, I went to Sunday service. Hey, you know, I'm going to go to Wednesday service, you know, meetings or, or your grow groups. You know, I prayed this week. Or are you here to meet God? Because the Spirit of God is here. If you want to meet God, He's here to meet you. But you have to come to Him. You have to hear Him saying, follow me and come to Him. My, and so my second name is to call people to repentance. At the end of this sermon, we're going to call, we're, I'm going to call people to repentance. And uh, so that, those are my two aims. All right. So we set the stage. This is no ordinary man we're dealing with. This is no ordinary man. If you believe that the scriptures are from God, and if you don't, then that's a whole other issue. But these, this is God's word. God wants to communicate. He doesn't, want you, he doesn't want you not to know him. He wants you to know him. He is communicating to you through his word. Are you willing to receive it? Are you willing to come to it and bow to it? 
All right, so we set the stage. This is no ordinary man. This is the king of the Jews. This is the ruler of the nations. Okay, so got our Bibles open. I'm going to actually start in verse 23 in um, chapter 4. All right, here we go. And Jesus was going about in all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And the news about him went out into all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, taken with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great multitudes followed him from Galilee and Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So Jesus is healing everybody. He's not just, uh, you know, being proclaimed as the king of, of the Jews. He is actually being shown in power. He has, he is ruling over sin, sickness, the demons. He is the ruler of everything. And because of that, people are following him. And and then picking up in verse 1 of chapter 5, he says, And when he saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And so this sermon is for his disciples. You know, if you're a follower of Christ, this is for you. And if you're not a follower of Christ, this is for you also. Come to him. Give him your life. And uh, so Jesus, you know, he came to set the captives free. He came to give um, to uh, to um, give sight to the blind, to heal the sick, to uh, you know people that can't walk. He came to give them their their legs back to them. And uh, but he also truth truth is what sets us free. And right now he wants to those people. He wants to give them truth. He wants to set them free on the inside. And he says to his disciples, and in verse two he says, in opening his mouth, he began to teach them, saying. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It's good for nothing anymore, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And he gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your father who's in heaven. Do not think that I came. And so here's his mission statement, guys. Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. 
I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. You know, Jesus didn't come to just do something new. Everything that's written in the scriptures beforehand is about him. And he said, I came to fulfill it. Picking back up in verse 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and so teaches others shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, That unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees. So the scribes and Pharisees are the religious teachers at that time. So he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So let me pause right there. That creates quite a dilemma for us because the scribes and Pharisees, if we saw them today, we would say, man, these people are awesome. They do good works like crazy. But Jesus described them as being whitewashed tombs. You know, they would, they would travel over oceans to get one convert. And he said that you actually make them a double son of hell because you make it so hard for them to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the things that you're teaching them, you're not even willing to do. So he, he's going to go on later and call them hypocrites. Um, meaning that they, they do one thing on the outside, but on the inside they're, they're internally corrupt. Um, But Jesus says, I say unto you that unless your righteousness surpasses out of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Going into verse 21, he's then going to uh, teach them. He's going to talk about what they know, which is the law. And then he's going to give the internal application of it. He's going to give grace and truth. So we learn the law from Moses. Moses gave us the law, right? What came through Jesus? Grace and truth. He wants, to, he wants to show that it matters in here. All right, picking up in verse 21. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, or you worthless one, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. If therefore you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar, and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law, while you are with him on the way in order that your opponent may not deliver you to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Truly, I say to you, you shall not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. And then he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if your right eye causes you to stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. 
And it was said, whoever sent his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the cause of unchastity or unfaithfulness, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. And anything beyond this is of evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, or a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist him who is evil. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, give him also your coat. I mean, hold on. Time out, guys. Nothing else in the world is like this. This is so beyond anything else in the world. This is so counter to anything else that the world teaches us. The world says, no, 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 you get retribution. But Jesus says, no, you let someone evil take advantage of you. And and you give, he said, they want to take your shirt, you give them the cloak, your cloak also. Be generous. All right, let's pick it back up in verse 20 or verse 41. And whoever shall force you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. He means children. You know, all the ladies in the room, he means children. In order that you may be children of your father who is in heaven. For he causes, the father causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God is so far beyond what we, we believe as far as generous. He is so generous. Do you know his generosity? He is so generous. He is, we say he is good, and this might be our standard, but he is infinitely better. Pick it up in verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? We, everybody loves somebody that loves them. Do not even the tax gatherers do the same? And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. So those who don't know God, don't they do the same? Of course they do. This just comes natural. Verse 48. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Another way to say it is, God says, because I am holy, you are to be holy. You are to be set apart in everything, in word, action, and deed. You are to be like me. 
That's what God says. It's an invitation to live his life. It's an invitation to be in unity with him. It's an invitation to know God as Father, intimately connected with him. That's what Jesus came to bring. He didn't come to bring more rules. He came to bring a way of life uh, that actually satisfies you on the inside. This is the kingdom of heaven. But the standards are high. Don't let anybody kid you. The standards are high. You know, there's a, there's a teaching that, you know, grace it just it, it gives a license to sin. Grace doesn't give a license to sin. Grace actually empowers you to live the life that God calls you to live. You know, God is calling every Christian to live this. You know, these aren't just some words that Jesus thought would be a good idea. This is how Jesus calls us to live. We can't do it on our own. We have to let the Spirit do it through us. We have to humble ourselves. All right, let's pick it up in verse 6. He goes on to say, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. When therefore you give alms or, or give to the poor, give to the needy, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. Do in the as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That your alms may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will repay you. So he's going to go on a few more times. But he sets up this, this criteria. Who are, what's your motive? What's your motive for doing uh, practicing righteousness. You know, Jesus doesn't condemn the practicing righteousness. He actually says, when you practice righteousness, beware of doing it for the praise of men. Beware of, of living your life for the praise of others. You know, he says, actually, you know, you'll have your reward in full, actually, if you do that. But are you living for now or are you living for the future? Because Jesus, if you, if you live for the future, if you actually believe that God is in the secret place, if you actually trust God at his word, like a little child, um, then he will actually reward you in the future. And his rewards are so far beyond what we can imagine. In verse 5, he says, And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need. Isn't that good news? God knows what you need. Your Father in heaven knows your needs. That should bring joy to your heart. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. For if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive you. Guys, let's not play around. Jesus gives a stipulation here. Here is a conditional uh, statement. If you don't fulfill this condition, then you cannot claim the, the benefits of, of knowing Christ. If you will not walk in the way of the Master in forgiveness, then you cannot claim His benefits. You cannot claim a relationship with the Lord. It says it so clearly. If you forgive men, then you will be forgiven by your Father. But if you won't, if you say, no, I'm not going to forgive them for wronging me, then you don't have forgiveness. Our debts before the Lord are so much greater than anything that anybody could do to us. doesn't matter if it comes from our childhood, you know, teenage years, whatever. Whatever anybody does to us, we far surpass it in our own relationship before the Lord. Do you know that? You know, Jesus gave an example of a, of a woman who came before him and she was just weeping and in thankfulness and in joy. And she was, she was cleaning his feet with, with her tears. And there was a religious leader and, and he and said, if Jesus only knew who she was, the filthy things she's done. And he said, listen... Who loves more? Someone who's been, been uh, you know, get, forgiven a debt of a million dollars, and he tells a story. Or one who's been forgiven a debt of 10,000. He says, well, of course, the one who's been forgiven a debt of a million. And he says, yes, those who have been forgiven much love much. And so we need to know our sin before the Lord is, is so far surpassing than anything that anybody else can do to us. Verse 16, he says, And whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you may not be seen fasting by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. Do not lay up for yourself treasures upon earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. You know, Paul will go on and call us in one of his letters, that we're, we're children of light. We're meant to have light on the inside of us. And by the Holy Spirit, He comes and indwells us. But if we harden our hearts, if we sin, it puts out that light. You know, it grieves the Holy Spirit. Verse 23, But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will, be, he will 
hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than clothing and the body than, um, and the body than clothes? Uh, sorry. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Verse 26. Look, look at the birds of the air. They, they don't even sow, neither do they reap, nor do they gather into barns. They don't have a 401k plan. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Don't you realize you're worth much more than the birds? In which of you, verse 27, in which of you by being anxious can add a single measurement to his lifespan. And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? You can have faith and it can be small, but Jesus, this is the first time he brings up faith. Don't you trust the word of God? Don't you trust the word of Jesus here? He's saying you are worth much more than the lilies of the field. And if you actually studied these things, they're actually more beautiful than you can imagine. Every little detail, it is gorgeous. There's such intricacies to every cell that's in in the universe. You're worth much more. Do not be anxious. So, so, sorry. Trust. Trust the Lord like a little child. Verse 31. Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what, sh- or what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Man, when we seek after God's kingdom, when we say, I'm going to do what you want, when I'm going to put my agenda aside, you know, the things that come up during the day, no, 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 I'm going to stop. No, stop. I got to seek first the kingdom. I got to, I got to, I got to seek first, um, you know, trying to win people to Christ. That's what I got to seek after. I got to seek after living for righteousness, hating sin, abstaining from sin, not letting your flesh rule over you. When I'm going to seek after those things, everything gets put in place. And it's actually, you know, times when you go through something um, where it seem, might seem hard, you seek after the kingdom, smooth sailing. It might be hard, but inwardly it's smooth sailing. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, back in verse 33, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not judge lest you be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measurement, it will be measured to you. Don't measure by your own standards. It's easy to do that. The world pits us against one another. But Jesus is saying, don't do that. Your standard, like if you're going to judge others by a standard, you're going to be judged in the same way. We've got to look at God's standards. Whatever happens to us in life, we need to turn it back to how does God judge this? Verse 3, 
And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take out this little speck out of your eye. And behold, you have this huge log coming out of your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly how to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. Or what man is there among you when his son shall ask for him a loaf? We'll give him a stone. Nobody's going to do that. Verse 10. Or if he shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? No. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? He's going to give you good things if you ask him for it. He's not talking about material things. He's asking about a relationship with the Holy Spirit. In Luke 11, in the same, same passage, he says, ask of the Holy Spirit and he'll give it to you. Verse 12, therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them, for this is the law and the prophets. You know, I, read the, I was reading this last night and, and I saw, I was like, oh, this is really about the first and second commandment. Jesus is really showing us how to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your strength, all of your soul, and all of your mind, and to love your neighbors as yourself. That's all the old commandment. We're all called to that. We're all called to, to live in union with God, in intimate relationship, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. You know, some call this the, the golden rule. But Jesus is saying the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, this is what this is all about. If you, however you want to be treated, treat others that way. Okay, in verse 13... He, he's, he's charging you right now. He's saying, you do ev- you, every single thing you got, that's what you got to give. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. If you, all you have to do is look at the world. Right now, there's, in the spirit of this age, hey man, it's all, it's all one God, right? Coexist, right? Coexist. We have, to live, we have to be tolerant of one another. Right? That's what we're told. Tolerate one another. Except when it comes to the Bible, the world cannot tolerate the truth of the Scriptures. When it comes to Christians, it, they will not be tolerated in the future days. No, we have to stand up for truth. There is one way to heaven. It is Jesus. It is giving your life to Him. He gave His life for us. He purchased us with His blood. Is his blood marked over the doorpost of your life, over the doorpost of your heart? If not, then you're not his. He says, enter by the narrow gate, back in verse 13. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who are going to enter by that. Many people will be deceived. Most people are going to be deceived. Hey, I'm going to heaven. No, you're not, Jesus says. Because you're not willing to enter by him. Verse 14, for the gate is small. And he says in in one of his gospels, in one of the gospels, he is the gate and you must enter by him. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And few are those who find it. 
Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. They weren't willing to listen and submit themselves to his teachings. You know, Jesus, in, I believe in John 15, says, um, it's those who love me who keep my, or those who keep my commandments are those who love me. He says, if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. So you can't claim to be a follower of Christ without listening to what he says. Verse 24, this is his, his application. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared for a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and yet doesn't act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the rock. I'm sorry, upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house. And it fell and great was its fall. The result was that when Jesus had finished these words, the multitudes were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the sent one. This is the word of the master. We do well to cherish every word. We do well to, to bow our hearts to it. We do well to get off of our TikTok and our Facebook and our Twitter. We do well to turn off Amazon Prime and Netflix can you hear the voice of God? Can you hear the voice of conviction in your lives? The voice of conviction is good. It's the voice of wisdom crying out at the, the, the head of the streets. Come to me. Turn your foot to me. Let me teach you. Are you willing to be a disciple? You know, I heard a preacher the other day say, being a disciple is being told that you're wrong for the rest of your life. <laughs> Don't get offended. Don't be offended by what Jesus says. Say, yes, Lord, you are good. Your ways are higher than my ways. And I'm going to bow my life to you. Is there something in these scriptures that offend you? Is there something today when you hear these words that annoy you, that grate against you? It's in that place that, you, that you're not responding to the voice of conviction. The voice of conviction is good. It's the voice of the Holy Spirit. You know, the, the Spirit comes to what? Convict us of, uh, of righteousness, so right-doing of um, sin and the judgment to come. 
We need the voice of conviction. We don't need to lessen it. We need to bow ourselves to the word of God. You know, I think I got about five minutes left. You know, Jesus' sermon preaches itself. Um, but I want to encourage you. Do you know the Lord? You know, there's many in here. Let's not, let's not play games. We don't have time to play games anymore in, in this world. There are some here that are the Lord's. The Lord, the seal of the, of the Lord, or the foundation of the Lord, its seal, its great seal is the Lord knows who, whose are his. And those who call upon the name of the Lord are to abstain from wickedness. You know, that's what repentance means. You turn from your ways. You see that Jesus is the light of the world and that he calls you to live for him today. Not tomorrow, but today. Do you know that Jesus is the light of the world? You know, there's some in here that really are his. He knows that you're his and that you are living for him. Your heart is aglow for him. These words are precious to you. And then there are others who say that they are Christians and you're really not his. You're not his. He knows that you're not his. And it's because you're messing around with sin. You are not willing to come to him and bow yourself to him. Oswald Chambers, talking about blessed are the poor in spirit, he says, this is the first principle of the kingdom. As long as we have a conceited, self-righteous idea that we can do the thing if God will help us, God has to allow us to go on until we break the neck of our ignorance over some obstacle, then he will be willing to come and receive from him, from, from God. As long as we think that we can accomplish the Sermon on the Mount, you know, oh, I can walk this out, you know, as long as I have God helping me. No, no. We have to realize we can't do this on our own. You know, God's not coming just to give you a, a B12 boost of the Holy Spirit. You have to first realize I can't do this. You know, in my natural self, because of sin, you cannot accomplish this. You cannot keep this. You have to surrender yourself. You have to realize it is futile to try to keep this. Oswald Chambers describes it as Jesus meant for the Sermon on the Mount to bring you to despair. And that's what it does inside of a man, inside of you. When you keep on reading it, oh my goodness, I can't do this. I can't do this. But as long as you think that you can do this, you're not ready for it. You have to come to him. You have to say, I need you to do this through me. I need you to do this through me. You have to humble yourself. There is much more I want to say, but I have to wrap this up. So there are others in here that do not know Christ. You have not surrendered yet to him. I'm calling you to come to him today. Today is the, way of, uh, today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Today is the day. Surrender your life to the Lord. Live for Him. You know, Jesus, He came um, to die so that we would die to sin and live to righteousness. You know, we have a high calling. You are called to be salt and light in this world. You have to give your life to the Lord. Jesus opens the way up for salvation. Come to Him. Live your life for Him. And those who are far from Him, I'm calling you to repentance too. You know, uh, Paul says in the same way, I believe it's in Galatians, in the same way that you have received the Lord, so walk in him. When you first gave your life to the Lord, it was because you repented. You saw his majesty. You saw that he is wonderful and that you aren't. So walk in him. Whatever the Lord is, is putting his finger on you today. And I know reading all of this, he is talking to your heart. Yes, Lord.
I will come back to you on that, that one point. You know, it's always our hearts harden because there's one point we won't continue to go on with the Lord. You know, there might be a relationship that you have to, to go and, and humble yourself in. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe the Lord has spoken to you to send a gift to somebody and you haven't done it yet. You know, maybe it's you were proud and you, you said harsh things to somebody. Go humble yourself. Jesus so, cares so much about our relationships. But if you're not living for him, if you are not his, if his Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in him, you are in danger. You're in danger. You're still under the sway of, of the devil. He still have, has his way over you. I want you to realize that you are in the middle of the highway and a Mack truck is bearing down on you. And Jesus is there saying, come to me. He's on the side of the road. Come to me. I want to tell you, go get out of the street. Go to the Lord. Humble yourself and come to him. Live your life for him. Seek the Lord like you've never sought the Lord before. He will fill your heart. You will have a relationship in the secret place uh, with the Lord. And it's the best. It is the best to live for the Lord. He fills you on the inside and he gets you to walk in his purposes. And it's the best. Are you living for the purposes of God? Are you? Come to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Make it precious to us. Make it precious to us, Lord. You know, we have been so distracted by so many things in our life, Father. You know, the devil is so good at distracting us. He's so good at lying to us and us believing the lies. And we join in in doing wrong. But Lord, you come. You promise to clean us up. You promise to redeem us if we'll come to you. The way is not hard. It is easy to come to the Lord. You, all you want us to do is believe that, that you are true to your word. You will protect us. Uh, through our faith, Lord. We just love you and thank you, Father. Work. We know that you're working. In Jesus' name, amen.